particular emphasis that I'm going to, to uh, embark on today is grace. You, you know, you, you, you can't really fully appreciate the gospel without that aspect of grace. And if there need be a title, I chose grace, uh, the underrated miracle. Grace, the underrated miracle. I'm a sports nut. Maybe not a nut, sports fan. (laughs) Okay, I'm a sports nut. And I'm a huge Oklahoma State fan. Go Pokes. I'll even get a shout out to some Sooners over there. All right. (laughs) But one of the things that associated, we're in college football season and, and, uh, some things we have to deal with, frustratingly so as an Oklahoma State Cowboy fan is those polls. They just don't, they just don't want to show us any love. You know? And you hear phrases like, hey, you know, those Cowboys, they're under the radar. There's a lot of teams we look at as overrated. And there are some that are underrated. There are some players that are overrated and some players that are underrated. I believe as much as we talk about it, you know, grace is one of those underrated miracles. What is grace? Well, grace, I believe, is twofold. Grace is God's unmerited favor. Emphasis on the word unmerited. In other words, grace is God doing good for us that we do not deserve. In the Bible, grace and mercy are like two sides of the same coin. Uh, Mercy is God withholding judgment or evil that we deserve. Grace is God giving us blessing or good that we do not deserve. And because of God's mercy, we do not receive the judgment of God against our sins. Because of God's mercy, we do not receive the judgment of God against our sins. But because of God's grace, we receive the salvation of the Lord. Ephesians 1 verses 7 and 8 says, In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. I love the way that that is phrased. The riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. How many of you know that God lavishes his grace upon you? I didn't have it in my notes, but, you know, Romans 5, 8, it tells us the heart of God towards us. It says, while we were sinners... Contrary to God, resistant to God, disobedient to God, Christ died for us. And it says, it's, I'm, I'm going to use the Cornell version. It's, it's hard to find someone that's willing to die for a good man. You know, a man of prominence, someone who's really important, some, you know, a few more would dare to die for them. But if you ain't no good, ain't nobody dying for you. That's real. And yet the love of God is so great toward us that while we were still dead in our sins, he died for us, knowing full well that not everyone would receive him. That's the love of our God. Why? The the love that he has for us causes him to pour out his grace upon us, his unmerited favor in a lavishing way. Go to the book of Luke chapter 7 for a second with me. And I, I, I like to give pictures that kind of personify what I'm talking about. Luke chapter 7. It 
And I'm just going to read it starting at the 36th verse. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, this man, if, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, got anything you want to say? He said, Simon, I have something to say to you. He said, teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay him, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. And then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven the same loves little. And then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, I love the, I love the story of this woman as she comes in to a Pharisee's house the man who represents the religious establishment of the day, for no other reason than that she heard Jesus was there. All right? She didn't go there to pay homage to him. She just wanted to meet Jesus. And when she went there, I love her attitude because she goes in total humility. She knows what the rest of the city knows, that she is a sinner. She knows spiritually she's bankrupt. She has nothing with which to pay her debts before God. She's broke. And she goes and she doesn't even open her mouth. She's just overcome with emotion. She's just sobbing. She's crying. She heard about this man who, who's full of grace and mercy. She heard about this man who is the son of God who can forgive sins. And that shows she had a desire in her heart to want to be something different than what she was perceived to be. She had a desire to want to be something more than she had become. And she came to Jesus with nothing but a contrite spirit. And how many of you know that was more than enough to get his attention? Notice he doesn't ask anything of her. Unmerited favor. He just said, woman, your sins are forgiven. I'm not breaking any new ground in revelation to a lot of you. Uh, 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 we had to be weak. We had to come before God in humility in order for us to acknowledge our need to be saved and to receive the salvation that is in him, right? 
But sometime along the way, even in our walk with the Lord, sometimes we go back to that merit-based mentality. And we feel like because we've been on a good run, God almost owes us something. Or if we're on a bad run, God doesn't have a, doesn't have a, a, a second of his time for us until we make things right. I want you to know you couldn't be any more destitute than this poor woman right here. But she discovered something. She knew about that miracle of grace. That she didn't have to do a single thing but come to the Lord in humility and receive him as Lord and Savior. And she was forgiven. Right there, on the spot, no questions asked. She is in relationship with the Lord. Amen? Now, I've struggled from time to time. You know, it's dry, wilderness times of my life and so forth and 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 I'm struggling with with uh, weights or sins that God is still doing the work in my life about. And I make the mistake, instead of running to him, I run and cower and I hide in a corner and I try to I, I try to do something for myself that I have no strength. To do, I try to do something that might earn favor from the Lord when there is nothing I can do to earn his favor. It's already been lavished upon me. And it's there for me to draw upon if I would but humble myself and do it. And sometimes like if I'm, I'm looking in the mirror and, you know, physically, you know, I'm not liking what I'm seeing these days, but... I look in the mirror and I've got to be honest with myself sometimes that my my problem oftentimes is pride. You know, I'm 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 too proud to 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 debase myself or to humble myself before God. I I I can do this. I ought to be able to do this by now. Can anybody relate to that? And you know what? Let me tell you lovingly, that ain't nothing but your stinking pride. And we can learn something from this woman. You just think about the gall of her, man. She this is dude. This dude was a Pharisee. These people stone people like her. She walks up in his house uninvited, makes a beeline for Jesus. knelt down at the feet of the master and got down to business. Amen? But that's one aspect of grace. I want to talk about a second uh, aspect of grace. And grace also represents the enoughness of God. Here's what that means. It means that grace is also the sufficiency or fullness of God at work in the Christian life. I'm going to say that again. Grace is also the sufficiency or fullness of God at work in the Christian life. Uh, I also say sometimes it is God's divine enablement. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8 says, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. Y'all know how much all means? All. Is there anything you need today, physically, spiritually, emotionally, 
mentally? Did I say physically? Financially. No needs out there? All right, I'm going to pay some of y'all a visit then. (laughs) Praise God. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. This is a familiar passage in which um, Paul is getting these tremendous revelations. There's a messenger of Satan that was sent to buffet him. And he uh, cried out to the Lord uh, three times that he would that he would remove it. How many of you, how many of you just had a, a splinter in your hand or in your finger? You, 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 know how, you know how bothersome that can get? All right? He equates this to like a thorn or a splinter he, he can't quite get rid of. And so he's asking the Lord to do it for him. And what does God say in, 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 in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9? Paul says, here's the response I got from God. You got to love this response. My grace is sufficient for you. I got to say, I like, I, tr- I like to try and put myself in the shoes of the character of the men and women in the Bible. Uh, I got to say that that would have fallen a little bit flat with me. I- I'm sure I'm not the only one in here who would have not been excited to get that response from God. But he says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. I believe God was wanting to show Paul, as great as he was, as great of a man of God as he was, as much revelation that he had, there was, there was a new dimension that God was wanting to take him to. And he wanted him to know, yes, Despite the fact that he moved in power, in fact, despite the fact that he moved in great revelation and so forth, he wanted Paul to know that there is times when you're just going to have to be weak for God. But don't be afraid because in that weakness is when my strength is made perfect. And so Paul grabbed a hold of it and he said, therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. What does that mean? It means that the grace of God at work in Paul's life enabled and empowered him in his weakness despite the thorns, despite all the obstacles, to let his light so shine before men that they saw his good works and glorified his Father in heaven. I believe God's grace is working in miraculous ways all the time, and it it isn't, it, it may not be as exciting as seeing arms grow out or uh, the blind eyes open or the mute talk or ears uh, open so people can see. Th- those are awesome. And if you're wanting to see those things, I do too. All right. But what I don't want to miss in the pursuit of those things is I don't want to miss the miraculous work of God's grace that is going on in the lives of people, that is going on in my life between those miraculous encounters. That's why I believe God wanted me to say that grace oftentimes is the underrated miracle. You see standing before you today a miracle. A miracle that I was even saved. And as a matter of fact, if it was not for a classmate of mine in high school on fire for God, I'm not even sure I'd be born again today. This dude 
His name is Henry Ivory. Not surprisingly, he's a pastor now. But as a 15, 16-year-old young man, he got on fire for God, and he wanted every one of his friends, he wanted to make sure everybody knew Jesus and everybody was saved. And that son of a gun would just not leave me alone. Every time he preached, hey, brother. See, hey, I saw you at the club. You can go to the club, you can come to church. No, but he, I mean, dude was on fire, and he was not going to let anybody go to hell if he could help it. And you know what? And I, I wasn't always the nicest dude to him either. But we, we became friends. And it was, he was the man, the young man that led me to Christ. His persistence. God used him to pursue me aggressively. And by the miracle of God's grace, not only am I a Christian myself, but I am a minister of the gospel. I'm in front of you today sharing God's word. Everybody here, you have your own story. And God's grace, the miracle of God's grace, enables you to be where you're at right now. You're not here by accident. It's by the intent of God and his unmerited favor. Even when you weren't living for him, his grace started for you well before you even knew him. But he would not give up on you. And he worked grace. He, you know, there's a phrase by hook or by crook. <laughs> you know, One way or another. He was going to have you. Amen. And um, there were some close calls um, uh, that that threatened my life. I haven't told a lot of people that I had a half brother who, who, who got murdered. Doing stuff that we would have been doing that. Had I been home and hadn't been a freshman in, in college at OSU at the time. And I went back at his funeral. His name was Darrell. And I'm going back to Waxahachie. And, I, and I'm a, I, I was a football star there. You know, a three-sport star there. So usually when I go back home, everybody is wanting to talk about, you know, exploits. Talk about a certain game, a certain play, a certain season, and so forth and so on. But this was a more somber reason for me to go home. And, uh, man, I'll just say, uh, I spent a lot of time before the Lord uh, dealing with a lot of things that were going through me at that time. And I, I had no idea what God wanted to do, but I went there and uh, I met Back to Waxahachie is where I'm from, Waxahachie, Texas. And I went there, and I just wanted to glorify the Lord. I just wanted to, in some kind of way, you know, uh, uh, be a blessing. And, and it was funny. I didn't realize just how much people were looking at me. They knew that I had become a believer since I knew I was a Christian and so forth, and but people were looking to see how I was handling this situation. I had no idea. And there was such a grace of God on me that unbeknownst to me, God was speaking to people through the work of grace, <laughs> through that grace that was working in me, that I, there was a peace about me that they couldn't comprehend. I, I, I can't tell you how um, how that came to be, but it was that they would just marvel at it. And I, I, I had person after person, uh, former classmates of uh, my brother and, and of mine, uh, we were a year apart. And people just observed how God was working in my life. <laughs> and, and it spoke to them in such a way that I 
that I got the opportunity to share Christ with them. I, I, I wasn't going, I got to tell you, I wasn't going there to share Christ. I was going there to mourn my brother. But out of that, <laughs> out of that came an opportunity for the grace of God to be declared and extended uh, to some, to some other uh, brothers of ours that um, did not know the Lord. And um, I don't know, I don't, I don't know uh, fully. Uh, I, I promise you before I got up here, I didn't necessarily have, I didn't have a plan to share that, but I, I, I got to believe that, that uh, that'll be a blessing to someone. But I, but I reflected back on that. And I just said, Lord, thank you for your grace. Uh, you upheld me. They didn't realize what was really going on inside here. All they saw was the strength of God working in me because there was no strength of my own in that situation. And, and, and God was able to, was able to use a, sh a shaken young man uh, to be a blessing in the lives of, of people and help them come to the Lord. And uh, I'll, I'll never forget that. So the grace of God was at work in Paul's life and enabled him and empowered him in his weakness. You know, sometimes I think we're so busy trying to be strong that we don't appreciate the value of being weak for Christ's sake. Um, I believe Paul learned the value of being weak for Christ's sake. What does he say in verse 10? After God told him that, he said, Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When I was studying, I believe the Lord dropped that in my, <laughs> in my spirit, and I was like, what? Because being weak is kind of foreign to me. Wanting to, or looking at the value of it, is kind of foreign to me. All right, brothers, how many of you want to be strong? You know, I love the scripture, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. But, but think about that, though. It says be strong in the Lord. All right, and God says, my strength is made perfect in weakness. So it's not telling me to be strong. <laughs> it's telling me to appreciate the value of being weak for him that I might be strong in him. Amen? There is a strength in God that, will, that we will not have revealed to us unless we're willing to be humble and weak for him. We shy away from things we're not comfortable with because we're afraid, right? We're not willing to be weak. I want to, I, I want to travel the road that I am strongest in. I feel like I can do the most for God by doing what I'm strong at. Right? You don't have to agree. I know what I'm saying is right. But, oh, imagine, imagine how awesome, how awesome the kingdom can manifest if we didn't give, if we didn't give a care about anything. You know, it's like, you know what, Lord, <laughs> I don't know that I can do that, but you're telling me that's the path you want me to go. So, Lord, here am I. And we, it's going to be quite an adventure. I don't know what's going to happen, but, Lord, you be glorified. We put down pride because really it's, it's fear, but sometimes if we'll be honest with ourselves, fear is at least rooted in a measure of pride. And we just need to get before God like that woman and just say, you know what? This Pharisee might kick my butt for coming into his house like this. 
I might get thrown out, stoned. I might, what, something, I might get arrested, but you know what? Jesus is worth it. Jesus is here. I might not get this opportunity again. The opportunity is before me and I'm not going to let it pass. But I believe the Lord wants us to understand that there is his strength is available in our weakness and that we want to be strong in the Lord, but in order to be strong in him, we should not shy away from being weak for him. The amazingness of God's grace is most revealed through our weakness. The sufficiency of God is most revealed through our insufficiency. The enoughness of God is magnified through our lack. Right? So there is great potential for him being glorified and magnified (laughs) through the very things we don't want to have anything to do with. But I want to I want to challenge you and encourage you to open your heart get outside your comfort zones have a reckless abandon if you have a fear of reaching out to people if you have a if you're not the most sociable Go treasure hunting. (laughs) If that just scares the heck out of you, do it. Just face it. (laughs) Just face it and do it. And you will be amazed. Right, Marty? I mean, you know, I hope he he doesn't mind me uh, calling on him. But uh, Marty Yunt, you know, that was something that he was, you know, I'll say nervous about. (laughs) but he came out treasure hunting for that first time and you know what he stepped out and he faced his fears and God did awesome things didn't he God used him in a way that he would not have experienced had he not been willing to go and get out of his place of strength get into his place of weakness and just totally trust on God and just draw on the strength of God to use him like God wanted to use him the whole time Amen. Uh, and that wasn't the only time you've gone out treasure hunting. He's done it. He's done it again, haven't you? You've gone a couple of times. Amen. It can be done. So. As Christians, we desire to see the lame walk, the blind see, mute talk, the deaf hear, the sick healed, new limbs grow out, and the dead raised. We desire those things because they manifest the power of God. And we believe that those miracles will prick the hearts of unbelievers in such a way that they will fall under the conviction and surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. But you know, it doesn't always work. Jesus worked miracles and some people responded and some people rejected it. People are transfixed with this whole supernatural thing. You see paranormal shows popping up all over the place. Who knows if they, they can see a genuine miracle of God, who knows how different people will interpret it. So, we can see those things and desire those things. Those things are not bad at all, but, but allow me to focus your attention elsewhere for a moment. Away from those wonderful miracles, just for a moment. Because every Christian will rejoice in an environment where physical miracles and stuff abound. But what about the time we spend in less godly environments? Environments where the need is something other 
than uh, uh, physical uh, miracles or physical healing. Now, again, witnessing those kinds of miracles is amazing, but there is something that people need to witness even more. And that something is this. And I've been talking about it this morning, all, all morning. The miracle of God's grace at work in the heart and lives of his sons and daughters. They need to see a difference in you. They need to see us. They need to see you that have been set apart. That's not shying away from being different. A peculiar people unto the Lord. And I'm just going to I'm just going to say it. Some of us, I tell you what, I've been in some conversations in the past couple of weeks that have literally broken my heart. And these conversations have centered around public behavior of Christians. Conversations that some of us have had with those in service industry jobs who so don't want to work on Sundays I, I, I would, some of them said they would call in sick just to avoid working on Sundays. And one of those, and the main reason was those people that get out of church on Sundays, head to the restaurants and are just absolute jerks. Oh, I see some not head nodding. All right, so okay, no, no, but but this is what this this is what breaks my heart. The people know that you're Christians. They know the church rush is coming. All right, so there's no mystery as to who you are, who you represent. And here we are. We just got out of church. Hallelujah, grace like rain falling down on me. And then we go in the restaurants and we give anything but grace. I've even heard of people after they're finished, the meal is done, someone has dutifully served them, and, the, and, 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 and when it comes time to leave a tip, they, read some, they write some sarcastic note. Here's a tip, find Jesus. Or leave no tip. Attitude, demanding, no grace whatsoever. And I want to challenge us as believers, that ain't good enough. I want to challenge you as a believer, you represent Christ. Now I'm talking to you, I don't know if you do it, but just in case you do. All right. There is there is a responsibility on behalf of us as Christians when we conduct ourselves. We've got to realize we're ambassadors for Christ. But how many of you know that we have the ability to make the teaching of the gospel attractive? Okay? Not, not by laying hands on people and healing them, but by conducting yourself circumspectly. But by reflecting the character of your Lord and Savior. Loving people, blessing people, honoring people. It says in Titus chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, I want to read this. And my note on this says, God, grace enables you to make the teaching of the gospel attractive. It says, teach slaves or employees to be subject to their masters in everything. To try to please them. 
not to talk back to them and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. Now, I know we're not talking about a slave and master relationship here, but I hope you see the biblical principle that is in that verse that still applies in any setting. All right. He's basically saying, hey, I want you to teach them to conduct themselves in such a way towards those that they interact with. So that it will make the teaching of the gospel and our savior attractive. They won't. In other words, they won't reject the gospel because they reject you. Now, God has given you sufficient grace. (laughs) This is doable. We've already covered that earlier in the message, right? Grace for all things to abound toward you. Uh, Let's continue reading in Titus 2, verses 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled. Everybody say self-controlled. Self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself of people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Now, that it says the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. And by his grace, we should be eager and able to do what is good. We should be able to represent for the Lord. Amen? Now, I'm pretty much done. I had something else I want to share and being a preacher, I'm probably going to sneak it in here anyway. But I want to say this, and I'll paraphrase it, but how many of you are familiar with the story of Lazarus, Mary, and Martha? Lazarus got sick. They made their appeal to Jesus. Please come quick. Come hurriedly. Come. We know that if you come here, you can lay hands on him and, and heal him. And Jesus... When he got the message, it said that he loved him, decided to wait two more days. Do you think he would have rushed? But he waited two more days. Make a long story short, he gets there four days. By the time he got there, Lazarus had been dead for several days. And Mary and Martha are distraught. Now, I believe that's, that's the same Mary that I read about in Luke 7, the same one that washed his feet with her tears, dried his feet off with her hair, anointed his feet with her with the um, with the perfume, the same one that came to him in all humility and received forgiveness. Jesus loved all three of them so very much. It just happened to be one of those times where God wanted to do something different than what they were asking him to do. But he gets there, and the girls are saying to him, Lord, if you'd have just been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus said something to them. He said, show me where you've laid him. And there's a reason why I'm bringing this story up. He's dead. And they laid him in this I'll say sepulchre, this cave. They laid him in this cave and they rolled this huge stone over the doorway of the cave. 
And Jesus said, show me where you laid him. And they, then they did. And he said, roll the stone away. And they were like, Lord, you sure you want to do that? Because if we do that, by now, it stinks pretty bad in there. And if you roll that stone away, all of that stench is going to be, is going to come running out. He had him do it anyway. And he said, Lazarus, come forth. Now, before he did that, he said, Lord, I know you hear me always, but for the benefit of these people, I'm saying it, you know. Uh, there's no doubt in my heart, but uh, you're wanting to do something that these people need to witness. All right. So he called on to the call on the father. And then he said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came forth. Raised from the dead. An absolute miracle. And. um, (laughs) People were so moved by that, that they started to plot to kill him after that. But I believe the Lord wanted me to bring that up because I feel like, and I'm sorry I didn't give you this, this, that scripture this morning, but it just came up. I feel like um, Lazarus represents something. Are we all right, Todd? I feel like Lazarus, I I, I see symbolisms in scripture all the time. And I feel like Lazarus represents for us some of the dead things in our lives. You know, when they put Lazarus in that cave, the hope for what they were asking God for died with him. You get it? You know, and that's why they were crying. They, they, they were uh, they were despairing. As far as they could, as far as they could see, death meant the end. There, that there was nothing after that. And Jesus was there to show them that He was the resurrection and the life. That death does not limit Him. Amen. And I believe some of you need to be encouraged that way today. I don't know what your Lazarus is. All right. Maybe it's a a call of God that you had on your, on your life. Uh, Someone may have spoke it over your life and so forth. Things haven't worked out the way you thought they would. And so you've just put it in the cave and you've rolled a stone over your heart in that area. Hope is gone. It didn't happen like you thought it would happen. And so it's too late. I want to tell you that it's not too late today. Amen. Some of you, there's been a family issues or a a, a, a marital relationship, the relationship that you thought was dead. Not so. Amen. Now, the Lord will say, come forth. But what will he say before he says, come forth? He, he could have, he could have used his power to roll that stone away. He told them, I want you to roll the stone away. When those things happen, when those disappointments happen, when those hurts happen, we tend to get hard in our hearts in those areas. Amen. We don't want to feel that hurt. We want to be strong. We don't want to be weak. We don't want to be overwhelmed by those things. And so, so we tend to compartmentalize it, build a wall around it, and we just don't, we just won't, won't, won't face it whatsoever. Some of you may have had a, a failing. Moral failing, whatever. You haven't quite seen yourself the same ever since. The picture that you had of what you were and what you were going to be was just smeared and marred. 
and you think that that picture that you used to see, that future that you saw yourself having is dead. But it's not. God's grace is available to you in that area. And, and I... I hope that is I hope that is speaking I hope that is speaking to some people and and I I'm going to ask you all to stand as we get ready to wrap up here it's 11:49 and Hallelujah And I I'm not I'm not much of a singer but uh I just want us to sing amazing grace and and i want i want you all you know of your own it's going to be between you and god you know um i i just want you to come up before the altar and get before god if 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 you if anything that i said made you realize that you have a lazarus in your heart that you've put You've given up hope. Dreams and hopes and prayers and desires that you had such great hope for. She gave up on them at some point. The possibility of God doing those things in your life died. And I want to give you an opportunity to come up today and just allow the Lord to say, come forth. I want to give you an opportunity to say, you know what, Lord? I'm willing to be weak before you right now in front of these witnesses. And and I don't care what anybody says or anybody thinks. I'm willing to be weak and I'm willing to roll that stone away that I have used to shield me from the hurt, that, to, to, to shield me from what I thought was the death of something that was so de- near and dear to me. And I'm ready to roll the stone away, God, and let you resurrect and revive that which I consider dead. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord.